Hi, I'm Sandy, and this is episode 15 of my quarantine podcast. If you don't want to listen to the next minute, I won't hold it against you. I live in Cefalu, a small town in Sicily, but right now I can't leave my apartment, thanks COVID-19. What I can do, fortunately, is talk to people all over the world, and that's mostly what I've been doing. I started with friends, and now it's evolved into the needlessly complicated task of making it to 100 people in 100 countries. You can find out how I'm getting on at www.quarantinepodcast.com or follow me on Twitter at QuarantinePod. If you enjoy it, and I hope you do, you can help me out by spreading the word. Please share the site, say nice things about the podcast on your platform of choice, and if you live somewhere I haven't covered yet, drop me a tweet at QuarantinePod. I started out introducing these episodes with the sound of my neighbours singing from their balconies, but they've stopped that habit now perhaps for the best. So instead, here's another group of people somewhere else in the world doing the same thing. Good evening. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome. My name's Sandy, and this is day number 30 of my personal quarantine. Thanks for listening. Today, I've got three guests. Very excited to be speaking for the first time to Mark, who's an avalanche researcher in Innsbruck in Austria. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good, Sandy. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I cannot wait to find out more about the research of avalanches and um, I, like when I when I first heard your profession my immediate thought was that you should be being played by someone like Harrison Ford in a <laughs> it sound, yeah, sounds yeah yeah sure yeah badass job of anyone I've ever spoken to <laughs> and um, also catching up with Julia who joined us in episode number <laughs> um from Canada, three, four, five. How are you doing, Julia? Something like that. I'm very well, thanks, Sandy. How are you? Yeah, lovely to see you again. And <laughs> you've got Robin, who's a children's librarian in New York, in America. How are you, Robin? I'm doing all right. Good Thank stuff. You. Last last time I saw you, Robin, I was dressed as a penguin. Um, I'm not dressed as a penguin Indeed. today. Um. <laughs> maybe you could uh, maybe you could you could fill us in on that story uh well the last time i saw you was for julia's wedding um and the wonderful thing about that was that it was at the london zoo and so we got to enjoy a penguin feeding we got to enjoy was it a meerkat was there a meerkat in a fenced-in yep. area at some point yep yep <laughs> yep um <laughs> And we also got to enjoy um, various people dressed in animal costumes if they so chose. Mm. Um, you <laughs> chose a penguin costume. I chose a lovely dress. Um, <laughs> and so I thought we made a very, a very nice pair. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, I've got to ask like, how that idea came came to be it was you must have one of the more unique wedding albums of any <laughs> couple out there yeah we have a best man who's dressed as a gecko um I, I'm not sure that can be topped 
he was, was just, like he a just, lounge lizard gecko. He was a lounge right? lizard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. There's a picture that someone took um, of just our feet, just mine and Jeff's, <laughs> my husband's. And then I have a best man. He has a best man. One of those pairs of feet is just like a gecko feet. It's really good. <laughs> it's my favorite picture of the wedding. <laughs> it was it was an amazing day. Um, I'm I'm Mark. Did we did we meet that day? We must have I'm done. I'm sure we right? did. Yeah, yeah. So the, we must the, have at some point. Yeah. The key fact that I haven't uh, haven't introduced yet is that Mark is Julia's brother. It's the first time we've had a family connection on the podcast. Um, Mark, were you in were you in Animal? costume that day no i was just wearing like a boring regular suit so yeah i did i didn't really stick out that much unfortunately yeah. <laughs> it was it was amazing there was a shark playing the violin yes yes creeping up on people playing the jaws music um there was a chicken yes i can't remember i just i remember very clearly that the invitation card said dress code formal or animal and yes. you know, there was only only one direction I was going to go in. Were there any others? Am I missing any? Uh, there was a polar bear, um, <laughs> and there were some people who chose um, to wear something formal but with an animal pattern. Mm-hmm. So there was someone someone who had a, I think, a flamingo tie. There was someone else who had a dress with woodland animals on it. So that was a nice little crossover as well. I should also say that when um, when Robin talks about the fact that we all went and watched the penguins being fed, that was the real penguins. I wasn't being <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't being fed on that occasion. Um, I was very well fed at other other points of the of the day. <laughs> yes, I believe you had a cupcake with penguins on it while the penguins were being fed, just to make hmm. it not at all confusing. Yeah, it, they were horrified. In fact. It, <laughs> That that day was pioneering this trend of taking animals around zoos to look at other animals, yes. which may become a thing in the in the COVID era. <laughs> Has anyone seen? Um, we talked on a, a podcast a while ago about the the penguins being walked around an aquarium. Um, I saw a video of a sloth who was taken to to meet some dolphins. I can't remember where it was. Uh, the sloth is incredibly unmoved. The dolphins are fascinated they're just like <laughs> doing tricks in the water spinning around uh, are, are there any more of these going on has anyone seen any others uh, we actually we have one going on um in brooklyn right now now yeah. i i don't know anything about it and i haven't seen any um video footage but i have seen it in person when i walk by the prospect park zoo the seals appear to be in charge now <laughs> I'm not sure how. <laughs> they're they're just out out all the time, um, making whatever noise they choose to make, and I can't see any other animals that might still inhabit the zoo. So I think it's just the seal. <laughs> I don't know what a seal's diet is. Are seals carnivores? Is that, is yes. that what's happened here? Right. So at this Possibly point, possibly under duress, I don't know. <laughs> at this point, the Prospect Park Zoo may just be a seal sanctuary. 
it may be. Yes. Hoping for small children to wander in. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many things that I, I wanted to talk about during this during this recording and i did not have a clue that we were going to start by finding out that the seals now run the zoo in brooklyn um but it's as as good a place as any to to jump off into talking about new york robin am i right in thinking that you work in the city but live upstate it's the other way around ah i i live in brooklyn right um, in the city, and I work in Westchester County, which is just north of the city, um, uh, and is in fact where the the original epicenter in New York State was in Westchester County. Right, right. Um, so when did that start? When did that start to affect the library system and, and your commute and things like that? Um, so the first that my library actually grappled with it um, was in late January, actually, mm. because we do an annual Lunar New Year program um, that is run primarily by some um, Chinese American volunteers in our community. And so I'm the library liaison for it. I do a lot of the logistical work, um, but one of our volunteers gets most of the vol- the other volunteers. She organizes usually for us to have a lion dancer, some other performances. Um, and she contacted me in mid-January. She had fairly recently come back from a visit in Taiwan, and some of her other volunteers had also been in China recently, and she said that she wanted to cancel the program. And at the time, there were no confirmed cases anywhere in New York State. It just, it seemed to me like an overreaction, Um, but she's also the one who does so much of the work that I, I really couldn't move forward without her, and I wanted to respect her opinions on that. Um, so after a couple of days of talking it through with other folks, we just canceled it at her request um, and heard from other people who generally came that they were really grateful that we had canceled it, that they were already trying to decide whether they were comfortable being in a large group, especially with yeah. knowing so many people might have traveled back and forth between China and yeah. New York recently. Um, wow. And then I kind of didn't think about it again for another few weeks and at this point um are you you're working from home at this point yeah um but at at that point you know we were still going into the library everything was normal um and then in late february um this there were all of these cases um in new rochelle which is in westchester and it's part of our library Mm -hmm. system And that's when we really had to start thinking about how, as an organization, we needed to respond to it. Um, Our library system circulates books, not just in our library, but throughout all the 38 branches, um, which meant that people from New Rochelle could have our books and try to return them to our library. And Mm -hmm. people from our library might place a hold and receive a book from New Rochelle. Um, We didn't want that to happen necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so... We started kind of going um, independent. Each library was just circulating their own materials. And I you know, was looking at all of my public transportation, whether I was going to ever be on the same line with people who were commuting to and from New Rochelle. Um, and then New Rochelle actually got locked down. It turned into a containment zone and libraries started shutting. 
I hope all your your colleagues and and people that you're a part of that community are, are, are safe and well. I guess I assume with the numbers involved that inevitably everyone's going to know people who've gotten sick or been affected one way or another. Um, let's. Uh, I, I want to come back and, and find out much more about what's what's going on in New York later. But if I could just bounce over to to Austria, Mark, I really I really don't know very much about Austria at all. I mean, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. Um, Innsbruck is in the <laughs> west of the country. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the more mountainous part of Austria, really. Yeah. I see. You've beat me to it. The, the one thing I was going to say to try and make it sound as though I was in some way informed <laughs> was, was that must be quite a mountainous area, which is absolutely which is based right, on yeah. absolutely nothing except your job description. <laughs> um, I've got to ask how how do you become an avalanche researcher, and is it as badass as it sounds? Um, well, actually, well, I studied geography and, um, you know, since, I mean, Innsbruck is like in the middle of the mountain. So one way or another, even though like my background, uh, I wasn't really too much involved with, I don't know, snow sports and these, you know, kind of things. Cause like growing up in like very flat area, like, you know, in, um, uh, near Cologne, um, Mm. hardly anybody went skiing there so this is you know a lot of my colleagues have that kind of background so they're like winter sports enthusiasts and you know um that's why they kind of chose that for their hobby to be their profession kind of thing but then for me it was kind of the other way around that I really got interested in the the process of avalanches while I was studying and then I did an internship and it just kind of went from there so yeah you're sort of executive avalanche scientist (laughs) (laughs) well I mean you know it's uh it's kind of a hands-on thing, but you know, only only rarely, unfortunately. So, um, what, it's, what, does, it's, what does your job involve? Can you tell us a bit? Um, so mainly, we're working. Uh, we have several locations where we have um, where we collect data, um, snow data, obviously, mostly, but um, also some locations where we artificially release avalanches. Either we are ourselves or. You know, we mostly we we work in conjunction with like other people. Uh, so and that's like the, the most interesting part. But that's probably like maybe two percent of the time um, that I actually spend. The the rest is is pretty much in the office. But actually, that that two percent makes it totally worthwhile. I was going to say, right, it's 2% of your job. But it, is, <laughs> it is at least 98% of what's got my interest right now. You artificially create avalanches. Yeah. What, how, where? I mean, do you just do you just go into a valley and sneeze loudly? Or is there something more? Yeah, I mean, if that works, that's, that's absolutely fine. Usually, <laughs> you know, it involves kind of... Um, <laughs> Well, there's there's different test areas. That, like for instance, there's a, a test area in Switzerland um, where they try and dynamite avalanches on on quite a regular basis. So you know, being the Swiss, they have loads of cash and they can just basically they built a, a two-story bunker um, where in the the bottom story, the you know people are um, kind of sealed in. So um, they they fly people in there. Um, the people stay in the bunk and then in, in the top story, uh, they have all the instruments. So um, they close this side valley and then basically have the, this huge slope, um, which they use a helicopter to, to fly dynamite up to the top and then hopefully release an avalanche. So that's that's like the 
um, the most spectacular um, kind of example of, of how to artificially release an avalanche uh, and the, the projects kind of we're involved in. But it goes from there anywhere to, you know, like smaller projects where we use uh, or where we work with companies who use drones um, to dynamite avalanches on a much smaller scale. So, yeah. Julia, you'd never mentioned to me that you had <laughs> a, a supervillain in your family. Um, in fact, I do apologize. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, right? But I've been talking to Julia about this project for about three or four weeks now. I mean, she came on the podcast say, a little while ago. And uh, it was only a few days ago that she suddenly said to me, do you know, I have a brother who's in Austria. I've been saying, like, do you know any interesting people who do things in, in in countries where I haven't spoken to people just yet? And, you you know, Mark, you weren't even mentioned until a couple of days ago. Did you recently get in touch with Julia? Did you call to check in? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what brought that about. No idea. <laughs> Listen, yeah, I, we just, I just want to. That's not true. But see, now, if you had, you know, it's about keeping your powder dry and having some interesting guests further into the podcast series, right? Mm, true. Is that the right true. reason? Yeah. Yeah. Presumably, <laughs> presumably keeping your powder dry is also very important when you're setting off a controlled avalanche. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there's no, there's no off position on that switch. It's just, um, Julia, how how are things where you are in in Canada? Um, we yeah, we are doing just fine. We we're still at the same stage we were at last time we spoke. So, um, we only have shops open that sell essential goods but we are still allowed to go out if we remain at the appropriate distance from other people um schools remain shut and i think they will now we've had mm -hmm. all our things back from our children i picked up my my son's things today from school so right. it's a very clear and sign are they they're presumably now on a virtual easter break Is yes well, so, they, yeah, just for the four days, not a longer oh, okay. sort of no, a short. holiday break, but yeah. yeah. And what does their, what does their, um, their school day in huge quotation marks, what does that, <laughs> what does that involve? What does that look like when they're, they're not on those? Um, well, it, it obviously varies from family to family and from mm. the age of the kid and it depends on the teacher there's huge variables I keep finding out, but um, for my son, who's six, so he's grade one, mm. um, it's a case of um, having about an hour to two hours of schoolwork a day. So we do that in the mornings um, and invariably there will be some frustration because parents are not seen as teachers by their kids. It's just the way it is. Um, so there's that, um, but I feel like his teacher has pitched the amount of work really well. Um, mm -hmm. so, and it's a nice sort of pace of work. So he does some pictures of things he's done. He does some writing, some reading. So that's pretty good. Um, and because he's quite young, it's about an hour to two hours, depending on how much mm -hmm. frustration evolves from maths. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's not too too onerous, I right. feel. 
so there is but there's a there's a provision an ongoing provision coming from the schools is it something they have to do at a specific time or is it pre-made materials no we for us it's um there are weekly assignments so at the beginning of the week um we watch a video that his teacher has made she introduces the topics of the week and we access um on a sort of website that she's made we access all the assignments um, mm-hmm. and we have to hand them back by the end of the week so that's roughly how it works ah. um robin i'm i'm guessing that there's some there there is an educational uh component to the work that the library system does particularly in the in the children's sector how has that been able to to move online are there things events that would have taken place face to face that you're now having to do remotely or is there new provision or existing stuff being being strengthened yeah um we've we're trying pretty much everything we can think of at the moment um Mm. in addition to trying to serve support for the schools in our system um who are you know gathering whatever resources provide their remote learning um so we're in regular communication with our school librarians and with teachers um but also we ran um upwards of 10 programs a week at the library at least 10 story times um multiple book groups we run other special programs clubs all sorts of activities um and we can't do any of those in person right now um so we have been scrambling to figure out whatever we can provide. So we do story time songs and post them on Facebook. We're running clubs over Zoom. Um, I stole one of Julia's ideas and I run a virtual Lego club now. Um, We provide scavenger hunts. Um, uh, Tomorrow I'm doing a Rube Goldberg challenge. Um, So it's all kind of trying to provide whatever resources we can offer remotely to help people do activities in their own homes yeah um, that's yeah. most of what we can do a little How... bit of it is face to face but i mm. you know over video conferencing and such but most of it we kind of have to put out there and and offer for people to find on their own time sure how does how does a scavenger hunt work remotely because that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a great idea it's actually pretty fun um we can do, we've done indoor ones, we've done outdoor ones, um, and it's just things that, you know, you're supposed to find. For little kids, we do things like find five yellow things in your house. Right, And then I see. you can take pictures of them or just record what they are. Um, but then we have a, a whole long list of those things. Um, you know, find something that has four legs. It can be a stuffed animal. It can be your actual pet. It can be a picture of both of your parents standing together. <laughs> <laughs> this That's is brilliant. <laughs> full full disclosure on my to-do list quite prominently is uh, is the task of figure out how to deliver summer camp programs which uh, which my company last year provided for about 800 children all over Italy online um so i am sure. really on the lookout for for all these 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 ideas things which which we can use to try and keep that that community running um that sense of of uh of continuity i suppose um trying to preserve some kind of 
some kind of normality. Um, what are the what are the rules in place in terms of getting out and about from where you are in in Brooklyn at the moment? Can you presumably you can get groceries and things? What else is is allowed? Yes, um, grocery stores and liquor stores remain open um, mm-hmm. and heavily used. For- particularly the liquor stores um we are allowed to leave our houses worldwide for uh, we we are allowed to leave our houses for um exercise uh alone and so i do take a daily walk by myself um Mm. that's pretty much it there are no social gatherings um of any size uh-huh. And um, you are you are requested to wear a mask when in public, um, and generally asked to leave only once a day. Is that quite a recent thing? The masks. The masks are yeah, yeah that's um, just about a week now. Um, yeah. And we are requested to wear fabric masks or homemade masks, um, not to try to purchase surgical masks or anything like that to leave those uh. for our medical professionals because no one has done anything about getting PPE for people here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is uh, the entire world seems to be scrabbling at once to get its hand on hands on, on as much protective equipment for the medical profession. Um, Mark in, in Austria, what are the rules like? I read that uh, they're actually on the point of starting to reopen some businesses which had previously been been closed is that is that right yeah exactly so we're now in the fourth week um of of basically first regulations they put up so um actually for us in tirol it's been also the the fourth week of actual quarantine so we we've not been allowed to kind of leave our um our community kind of Okay. Um, so the, the village where I live, um, uh, even for a short walk or something, so we're not allowed to go beyond that. And yeah, that's the plan. I think now, um, actually with, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, they lifted that quarantine. So now we're able to go outside and actually exercise, which before, um, you know, they kind of limited it to just going for a walk. So anything other yeah. than that, if you went jogging or cycling or whatever you got pretty heavy fines so um, what was what yeah. was the first thing that you did when you were suddenly allowed to do more uh, i went for a bike ride today and that was awesome it was one of the best bike rides of my life i, I, I kid you <laughs> not so that was amazing just like breathing fresh i mean i have a garden which is you know i'm really fortunate so i definitely can't complain but it's just if you haven't been out like uh, you know outside for, for, to, to do more than just uh, go for a walk like a couple of hundred meters around the block then yeah that feels like pure freedom now what um what did you see on your bike ride like where did your route take you i'm just living vicariously through you right now <laughs> <laughs> well to be truthful it was really quiet so there there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of traffic um i mean you know actually um uh, my my boss made me kind of um, get rid of some overtime, so I'm now officially in, on holidays, which you know, um, yeah, it's, it's it's you know slightly boring to be on holidays these kind of days, but you know it's okay because yeah. I think now I can move around a bit. But um, 
So, yeah, you know, like during the day, I wouldn't expect it, you know, there to be a, a lot of traffic or anything. But, yeah, no, it was really quiet, all in all, for sure. Yeah. It's quite, it's it's mountainous. I mean, I'm I'm picturing crystal clear lakes reflecting snow-capped <laughs> mountains. Yeah, all maybe, of that, sure. Maybe, yeah. maybe goats leaping nimbly up and down vertical cliff faces. Exactly, that yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of that going on, a lot of, like, kitsch alpine scenery, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. I'm so, I'm so jealous. Um, Julia, what about you? Are you? You guys were able to to get out, take the kids out for some fresh air and things last time we spoke. Is that still the situation? Yes. Um, in fact, the for the whole afternoon, sort of every school day, um, mm. we go out for about three, sometimes four hours. Um, we have the woods close by, the ravine, as I mentioned last time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Right outside the front door. Right outside, yeah, almost. Um, and so that's where we go and we are also very lucky because um our chief medical officer has um allowed for especially uh, families with young kids to select mm-hmm. um a cohort family which means that if you both um s- absolutely stick to the to the rules um you can treat each other as one household so we have a cohort family um, uh, which means that I get to socialize, my kids get to socialize, um, and we spend three hours in the fresh air. And so I have decided I really cannot complain. <laughs> this, that's, this sounds amazing. And, um, such a, such an important thing in terms of how people are able to keep their mental health positive. Yes. Um, maintain a sense of normality and of course socializing for kids who are still in a phase of of learning socializing skills does it it works as well as it sounds like it it would do it works incredibly well yes and I I mean it's all well and good to you know have all the technology to be able to talk to people at a moment's notice but I've also found that to sometimes be a source of stress and I just find it very relaxing to walk into the woods and just talk with someone I get on with really well and just say today oh my goodness it was hard Mm. and to just have a proper conversation um it's just it's a different pace you can take some breaks um Mm. and share a joke it's totally different so I feel like that's a huge part of why we're actually doing pretty well with this right now and they have kids, your cohort family have kids who are similar age to your two? Yes. Um, so, I mean, we're lucky to have met each other anyway. Um, the mum and I get on incredibly well. We're both freelancers. Um, she's an illustrator designer, so we we can shop talk if we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and her kids and my kids go to the same school. Um, they're roughly the same age. Um, and they get on really well. So we've just really, really lucked out. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Dr. Dr. Dina, was it? Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Yeah. It's our chief medical officer. Yeah. She's good. Sounds, she's good. She's, she sounds brilliant. She sounds <laughs> she's brilliant. fantastic. She, not, not everyone's got as lucky with their chief medical officer. The chief medical officer in Scotland was recently yes. pressurised, pressurised to resign 
from her position because after giving instructions very clearly to people saying don't go to your country house uh stay where you are she was pictured on two consecutive weekends going to her country house um which you know i just well, well what can you say what can you say everyone's under different pressures and i don't know the whole story but still i think i think cohort families is is a possibly an even more productive contribution than, than <laughs> being forced to quit um <laughs> Robin, what about what about you? How are you? Um, how much face-to-face contact are you getting with with people at the moment? Well, this is um, when I have to rely on everyone's discretion because I will freely admit that I do, in fact, break the rules on a regular basis. Um, my sister and her family also live in Brooklyn, <laughs> right? And um, I see them. <laughs> I go to their houses. Um, it's fine. Very, very, very few people listen to this. So I think you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they're not seeing anyone else. And uh, they are my very close family. Those kids um, are the kids that I see weekly. Mm. They need a little bit of help. Um, both my sister and her husband are theoretically working from home. Both the kids are theoretically learning from home. They live in a two-bedroom apartment. So, yeah, um, so I want to be there when I can sure. um, to help and and they're the people that I want to see. And so um, I don't go very often. Um, I've, I went there last night for our Seder for Passover um, and I'll probably stay home for another five days or so. But um, but yeah, that I expect to continue doing that unless one of us gets sick or has some sort of confirmed exposure um, mm-hmm. that makes us feel like it's a bad idea. But until then, um, they're my face-to-face contact. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the same system as as is being encouraged on the other side of the closest border to you. Um, yeah. You know, it does it does make a lot of sense to me. I suppose one one element of this is that in some areas, People who set rules must be trying to set them slightly tighter than they think is actually required based on the knowledge that people will, human nature being what it is, you know, will bend them on on occasion. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you know, to me, it seems like the very logical response to be to be doing that. How are they keeping? Are they they safe and well? They are healthy. they're going to drive each other mad (laughs) yeah it is not easy to be a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and two working adults in a two-bedroom apartment you better know that's uh i don't envy them that at all no one's no one's stowed away in your backpack to come and have a sleepover (laughs) for a week or something (laughs) um i don't know which of them i'd be willing to take other than my sister and I suspect that the two of us would return to all three of them dead in their apartment. So we're just not going to test that out. Right. Okay. <laughs> Seems kind of reasonable. Um, I should I, I should have said happy happy Passover. How was the Seder dinner? Thank you. A little you. different to, um, to to normal, I imagine. It it was. It was in fact. Our- 
our our first ever Seder that we've held ourselves. We've always attended various different families, friends. Um, they often go to my brother-in-law's parents who live in Maryland. Um, we, for years, spent um, our, our satyrs with uh, some family friends in Connecticut. Um, and for the past couple of years, I've been mostly going to a friend of mine in the city who is a rabbi um, and hosts a family seder. Mm. And um, so this was the first time that my sister and I ever actually tried to do our own. Um, and it, it went fairly well. We did, again, I'm going to rely on everyone's discretion here. Um, we were asked to video conference with my brother-in-law's family first. Mm -hmm. It was five different uh, households all um, in the same Google meetup. Um, I learned through this, having never attended their Seder, that um, not one of them can carry a tune. And not only <laughs> can they not, they don't even not sing at the same time. <laughs> it was unspeakably awful um, <laughs> I hated, hated all of them in that moment mm. um, and was so grateful when my brother-in-law decided he couldn't handle it anymore and just put everyone on mute <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say is that is that the point where you start pretending that your internet connection's going a bit shonky <laughs> 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 Just put everyone on mute is, is brilliant. Smile, look encouraging, and hear nothing. Oh. Um, can I um, can I just invent a hypothetical uninformed listener who um, will take the heat off my own ignorance about the <laughs> Jewish faith and customs and ask you to explain to them a little bit about what, what this time of year would normally be like for your family and what kind of customs and traditions would be observed? And then how that's differing this time around yes of course for the hypothetical uninformed listener um mm -hmm. so so passover um is a spring holiday um in the jewish tradition and it celebrates um the liberation of the jews from slavery in egypt and so it begins every year it's eight days and the first two nights are seders, um, which seder in Hebrew means order. Um, and so genuinely a seder is just a meal that you do in a particular order with various parts and prayers and everything. Mm -hmm. um, all Jewish holidays, except Yom Kippur, where you fast, all holidays have a big meal. But this is the only one where the big meal is itself the service. And, um, okay. and so you read a special book that's called a Haggadah, and that has the story of the Exodus from Egypt, um, from the Torah, from the, the Hebrew Bible. Mm. And it's broken down with all of this commentary and you read certain parts of it. And there are various things that happen in almost any Seder. You eat matzah, you drink four cups of wine, there's horseradish or some other kind of bitter herb. Um, there are these various sort of important things. And this is the time of year when instead of eating bread and pasta and other leavened foods, you only eat matzah, or if you're me, you give up on matzah really quickly, and then you just try to avoid any foods that have flour at all in it. Which actually um, is, is is presumably fairly straightforward to do at this point, because if there's one thing that the world's running out of, it's flour. <laughs> it's so true, yeah. As it's, long uh, as you can find eggs, you're fine. It's fine. <laughs> 
the the oh. entirety of Italy is um, is trying, turning itself inside out, trying to find uh, baking soda at the moment. That oh. is the the one thing that is in danger of grinding this entire country to a halt. Um, Has everyone become a homemade baker all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. It's a combination of having a lot of time at home and um, being discouraged from going to the sh- to the stores, I guess. Um, Mark, are there any things that have come up in Austrian life that are tied to the the timing of this? I guess what I'm wondering is where I am in Sicily, the economy is extremely seasonal, and but it's all geared towards the summer, and so at the moment. It's the time when things would just start to be to be gearing up into the time where most people can earn their living for the year. Where you are, if if the terrain is mountainous, is it fair to say that the seasonal economy is the other way around and would normally be winding down at this stage? Uh, yes and no. I mean, um, it kind of caught the back end of the winter season. Um, and actually when I say back end it's, it's the last month basically where almost all the ski areas would have still been open and right. they closed down prematurely. Um, so there's definitely a large reliance on both winter and summer tourism. So kind of now is the time in between, um, after, you know, usually, um, Easter being like the classical time when everybody does go st- skiing still, a lot of people come here um on holidays and then after that it it kind of mellows down a bit um until the proper kind of summer tourism starts off but yeah this has been definitely one of the main impacts i think if if you're talking like in an economic from an economic point of view that you know tourism is like way down it was basically ground to a halt right now so um yeah and yeah another thing that i I wanted to ask was you've you said you've spent four weeks at home right there'll be a lot of people listening to this who aren't as far into the process of of self-isolation or quarantine or shutdown or whatever it's it's known as where they are what are some of the things that have helped you stay on an an even keel things that you've done to to keep your spirits up to keep positive to keep uh keep your little section of the world still turning yeah, I found having like kind of a routine to the day is pretty important. So even if I'm working from home um, or actually being on holiday, like I said before. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's still I've, I've still kind of tried to get up at a reasonable time and and kind of structure my day a bit. Um, exercise. That's definitely something that keeps me going and um, meditating, actually, is uh kind of try to, you know, basically try to spread it out a bit, you know, and uh, yeah, mm. just try not to to focus too much on the fact that you have to stay at home and there's nothing else you can do and all these wonderful things you could be doing if, if only, because the weather's been <laughs> gorgeous out here. I mean, you know, we've had basically four weeks of, of sunshine. I mean, this has been really cruel, you know, it's like, yeah, we had, we had two days where it was snowing a bit, but other than that, the weather was perfect for outdoor activities. So, yeah, there were quite a few people who caught heavy fines for going ski touring and things. But, yeah, otherwise, yeah, I think that's how it summed up. Yeah. 
Julia, how much uh, how much opportunity do you get for meditation in a house with two children? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but um, I mean, the going outside has has really been the core of my sort of mental well-being. Um, yeah, and I also. Um, do ballet and I've been lucky enough to start doing online classes um so I have a couple of classes that are midday so I effectively just make lunch for my kids sit them down at a table opposite my bar and do ballet while they have lunch and the cat tries to eat their food it's um (laughs) it's a new world (laughs) 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 <laughs> so they're learning yes. basic self-defense they're learning yes. independence yes um, yes yes and meanwhile I'm sort of doing exercise I'm on mute so I just see my teacher on the screen I put myself on mute and I will just sort of shout instructions every now and then as I'm doing my exercises waving my arms around um and that's then brilliant I've, yeah yeah I think a lot of a lot of dance teachers have seen a lot of cats in this period because they just seem to be attracted to the movement or something I don't know <laughs> I have had various classmates accidentally kick their cat so this is, this is a hashtag a hashtag waiting to happen <laughs> ballet cats of quarantine or something yes yes um, yeah do you know do you know how many other people are in that class with you yeah, so when you um so it's a Zoom, it's all on, on Zoom and as you log in, you my um teachers usually open up the meeting a little bit beforehand, um and then you get to have a little catch up and the the nice thing about this is that I can join my old ballet class back in Wales. Um so I get to catch up with some old friends yeah. because obviously, you know, um Orders have disappeared to a certain extent, so I get to do some old ballet classes. But yeah, so you say hi to each other, and then at some point when the class starts, you just go on um, mute for yourself and just watch the teacher. And yeah, it works really well. I'm surprised, but yeah, it's really interesting. Robin, other than the the seder dinner, is there anything else that you've moved online, socially or recreationally? Yeah. Um... I mean, you know, I'm I'm mostly just keeping in touch with people more and better, which is lovely. Um, and it's particularly nice having a little more flexibility in my day because I do have friends who live in, you know, far flung time zones. And it's often difficult to talk to them when I am at work from nine to five. But now I can just take off at noon for an hour and and talk to someone in Switzerland, which I haven't been able to do much before. Yeah. Um, so that. That's, that's been lovely. Um, I'm also part of a political organizing group um, mm. that's been sort of a, a local chapter in New York. Um, and as we're expanding, we've realized that at this point, you know, it doesn't matter if people are down the, the road from you. So we're reaching out to other chapters um, all across the country. And that's been kind of nice, too, to, to connect with those people. Mm. I saw um, I saw a brilliant viral video that was that was shared around of a guy I can't remember I think it might be Austria 
although I, I might be totally wrong on that, who's recreated a skiing, a day spent on the slopes in his own front room by mounting a camera to the ceiling right. and doing stop motion photography yeah, using yeah. Uh, like a bed sheet as a mountain that keeps moving right. and himself in his full ski outfit first climbing up and then summiting the mountain and then skiing down right. absolutely yeah phenomenal such genius. a testament yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely as yeah. anyone actually, as anyone's... Is... yeah uh, actually i think this is a, a spanish guy oh spanish yeah yeah, ah, yeah, of course, yeah. that great nation of winter sports in Finland. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a, a Spanish extreme skier uh, who who came up with that idea. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'll put it on our Twitter feed, which is at Quarantine Pod. If anyone wants to check that out, have any of you guys seen anything else online that's that's been shared around that's brought a, a smile to your face or changed the way you think about any of this? I... You go. No, I was just going to say I'm I'm really still really bad at social media, so <laughs> not very good at contributing to this. I regularly get sent jokes about how awful it is to teach a kid maths. I mean, that's that's just it. I think along the lines of you can either have a good day or you can try to do a maths lesson with your kid, and it is fully true. Um, those are. Those are most of the things I, I get sent to me. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I'll listening hand the floor to, to everyone else. <laughs> Someone's listening to that, nodding along in extreme. Vigorously, extreme. yeah. Um, Robin, there, what about was There was one, one uh, joke is maybe sort of a strong word for it because it's just so depressing <laughs> from start to finish. Um, but I do think it's clever. Um, uh, on Twitter, um, a woman named Rebecca Nagel, I think, who's a, a Cherokee writer, um, said something to the effect of, of I'm all for um, banning travel from Europe to prevent the spread of infectious diseases. I just think it's 528 years too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's funny. And then you think about it, and you're like, oh, right. Yeah. No, is, um, yep. That century is of oppression is what that is. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. colonialism for you. Oh boy. Um, Mark, have you seen anything? Um, I think I think you already mentioned the best one I saw, you know, just like random memes and videos which have been kind of sent around. But um yeah, I think actually the one you mentioned has, has been the best uh, I've seen so far. Yeah. My my the other stuff that I've loved seeing, it seems to be happening less and less, right? So I've been asking with because the Italians have been doing this thing that they started out, apparently it was going on in, in China, in Wuhan, at the very start of this outbreak of people singing to each other from their balconies and playing music. And from that, I developed this, this fear for the Brits who had a terrible national anthem that they were going to have to sing. And uh, so I've been asking people for suggestions of things that the Brits can sing. At this point, the Brits have spent, I think, two or three weeks uh, in some form of quarantine and they've made it quite clear that they've got absolutely no interest whatsoever in coming out and having, <laughs> having singers <laughs> very few of them even have balconies and if they do that is certainly not what they're planning on using them for <laughs> so the premise is flawed i'm going to expand it a little bit i'm going to say 
if you were to instigate wherever you are or to suggest to another community something that they could do, whether it's musical or otherwise, to keep their spirits up and stay connected as a local community, does anybody have any suggestions? Um, Julia? Yeah, well, um, I the, the one thing that I do that is a very, very small thing, but it makes my neighbours happy, is that... I bake bread and I have been for a while. It's not a face. <laughs> not That's a kind of where face. the flower has gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've been trying to find it for a while. Um, mm. So I, I bake and I always bake two loaves at the same time. And I always give one away to one of my neighbours um, because most of them are in their 60s, early 70s. Um, mm. They, they don't enjoy the shopping experience at all anymore one mm -hmm. of them told me yesterday she's feeling more and more vulnerable her husband has asthma um so i yes i sort of give everyone a loaf a week basically it's oh, my little that's thing that's really nice i like that a lot yeah. um robin if you have you seen anything or, or got any good ideas i don't know exactly how it would work in every place um but I have found something sort of almost comforting about um, communities responding to this the way that they have historically responded to a variety of dangers. Um, mm -hmm. So so I have these friends who live in Switzerland right now, um, and there's a medieval cathedral that they can hear from their apartment um, that every evening plays like essentially their their alarm of, uh, like it's it's change ringing they're doing their sort of church bells alarm yeah um just for a couple of minutes every evening and just sort of the idea that that's like a, a centuries old cathedral that has seen any number yeah of threats yeah. against this community and is kind of lovely in new york the, um, the Empire State Building, which lit, um, it changed seasonally or for various holidays, that kind of thing. Um, mm. It's lit up at the moment to look like a siren, and it will be until the immediate danger in New York has passed. Ah, oh, that is nice. I like that. Um, Mark, anything? Any suggestions? Um, uh, well, actually, the, um, the one thing I could think of um, is kind of a, along the same lines of what Julia said. So um, I mentioned earlier that we, we have a garden, I mean, a, a small garden, but... Um, we started this year to actually uh, to grow some like you know salad and uh, radishes and these kind of things, and and sharing them with our neighbours because several other gardens back onto ours um, and yeah it's you know we kind of because we we kind of the the neighbours uh, around us have you know grown different things so we gotten into habit kind of sharing them around I mean apart from the fact that it's kind of uh, a really nice uh, hobby to be doing if you're spending a lot of time at home you know kind of try to make the best of your garden and growing stuff and yeah i mean you know spread yeah. the joy and and share what you produce what you watch grow so that's been really really nice yeah really nice i saw um some photos from from naples where i'm sure it's taking place in in lots of cities around italy but it was it, it seems to be particularly prominent there there's a system where people who don't want to trek up and down four or five flights of stairs living in the top floors of apartments uh, to take to put their garbage out in the evening or first thing in the morning have evolved a kind of pulley system of 
fishing wire going down off the balcony to the street level and that's being repurposed to hold baskets of essential foodstuffs and other products which perhaps people are you know who've, who've lost work or um don't have access to are encouraged to just come along and and uh, and and take what they need and leave what they're able to leave as a as a surplus i think something that's really genuinely heartening to see is the way that communities are managing to stay connected even despite all of the obvious challenges that are that are going on that you'd think possibly could drive us into being more insular more more distant um it's been it's on the subject of staying connected it's been really really nice to catch up with all of you guys mark lovely to meet you thanks very much for taking the time likewise son it's been a real pleasure yeah thank you robin it's been really lovely to see you again it's been too long it's been too long i'm glad to thank you and um julia thanks for coming back on Thanks for having me back on. <laughs> and, and and really for sort of curating this episode, essentially. Well. <laughs> uh, do you want to take over for a week or so? <laughs> I certainly am vicious yeah, cold you don't of 100 countries. Your time, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm super bored. I'm super bored. <laughs> exactly. I'll do your ballet class. And, uh, <laughs> I take it that back. is I take what it I spend most of my time doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Um, we've we've finished all of these episodes the same way by um, echoing the tradition that's evolved in Spain originally and now being copied around the world. I've given a big round of applause to all of the people who are working in healthcare at the moment and in other ways um, on what seems to be becoming known as the front line of the fight against the spread of, of COVID. Um, it goes without saying that we're sending all the positivity and love and gratitude that we possibly can to everyone who's working anywhere in the healthcare sector. Um, but I'd like to give each of you the chance to send some good vibes out to other people as well. Um, Robin, do you have anyone that you'd like us to clap for? Oh, there are a lot of people who deserve it. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about, and I don't know that it's um, applause specifically, but I, I have been thinking a lot about the people who are um, trying to make life easier for people whose homes are not safe or happy for them. Um, and so social workers, therapists, um, and unfortunately, you know, police and, and community um, groups who are having to um, having to think about the the people for whom being stuck inside is not just you know like a little bit of temporary craziness, but is actually um, unhealthy for. Them. And I applaud any any useful efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Julia, what about you? Who's who's on your mind at the moment? Um, teachers, uh, teachers with kids. Teachers are doing an amazing job. I don't know how they're doing it. This is such a radical change for them. And then a lot of them are at the same time teaching and looking after their own kids. They're making sure that kids who are maybe not in the ideal home setting still continue to have some kind of regular um, 
lessons, regularity on the whole, contact to the outside world. I think they're doing an absolutely amazing job. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And Mark, anyone you'd like to mention? Um, well, I think where there's, yeah, like Robin, there's so many people out there. I've, I heard actually from a friend of mine um, who is um, kind of working for the state that um, he's working alongside police um, who are doing like 24-hour shifts sometimes, you know, um, and yeah, so I guess uh, those guys and also um, actually there's, there's been a, a string of uh, forest fires out here because it's been so dry um, and I imagine that's got to be really tough. Uh, also, you know, firefighters out there. So I don't know. I, truthfully, I don't know where to begin, but if I were to pick those two, yeah, that'd probably be them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. This feels unutterably trite after those three nominations. <laughs> um, I'd like to stress that I've done a few of these. <laughs> I completely echo all of the co- entirely deserved thanks and gratitude that has been poured in the direction of the emergency services, the healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but just on a very small personal level, my lovely landlady here got in touch with me this morning and I have quite a small apartment with a, a, a tiny little balcony. She also owns an adjoining apartment, which has a little roof terrace, nothing fancy, but, um, you know, large enough to, to do a little bit of exercise, get a little bit of fresh air, a little bit more direct sunlight. And I was talking to her about how I could pay my rent this month. And she said, when she comes to make that happen, how about she brings the key to the other apartment, which no one's in at the moment. It's mostly a, a vacation let. And I can get up and make use of that little terrace. So that's something that's going to markedly improve my day-to-day existence for as long as this drags on. And I'd like to give some gratitude to, uh, to, to Daria and indeed to any people who are landlords, landladies out there who are making sacrifices to make things easier for their, for their tenants. It's definitely going to be being appreciated. So one more time, thank you very much for joining us, Mark. Thank you, Sunny. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Thanks, Julia. Thank you. And we're going to finish with a big round of applause for everyone in healthcare, in social care, um, acting against uh, domestic violence, everyone who's teaching, especially if they're juggling it with kids, everyone who's involved in law and order, um, firefighters, especially those uh, battling the fires in Austria, and nice landladies, especially Daria. <laughs> 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 because because gratitude for all things big and small is uh, is is what I'm about right now. Thank you very much, guys. Let's have a round of applause. <laughs>